Are you ready, Christine? Sure am. Are you ready, Ma? Mm -hmm. This is the story. I was just going to say, you asked for cast, and I gave you cast. Oh, damn. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, set on Unintentionally. We are going to Sparta, Miss Mississippi. What are we? No, we're Not going quite. to We went Illinois. to Sparta, Illinois, because... Sydney Portier almost didn't make it out of Mississippi. <gasps> Is that why? I yeah, he and Helen Harry Belafonte were almost killed <laughs> in Mississippi. So he said, I am only filming in the north, except good. I had to go to Tennessee a few times. And that wasn't good either. Has any of you been to the Has any south? of you been? <laughs> has we? Has so sounds like you now. has. <laughs> I don't think New Orleans counts in this kind of. Okay, but yeah, I mean, it, it technically. But not like, but no, I ain't yeah. been to like Mississippi. <laughs> and North Carolina is a different kind of South. I will have, I'm just going to say that. Yes. For all y'all thinking that North Carolina is the same as Mississippi, it ain't. But we haven't been. Well, well, We've well. We've never been. Well, there's. Well, I haven't been to Alabama or Mississippi, so I can tell you right now. Based, I've never been either, but based on this, I could tell you. Because uh, I'm gonna go ahead and say, I'm sorry, maybe it's not true, but I think that 1967 Mississippi is the same as 2023 Mississippi. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. And I have proof to back that up and now that i'm thinking in my head it's arkansas that i'm thinking of but yeah it's all the same thing but that but that's it but then i i myself do the same thing about oh virginia but then when i think about it i'm like but you just go a little like there are places in virginia where i'm like oh there are yep, places. look at this but i mean yeah, and all coastal, of mississippi's like that right coastal Sorry. carolina and coastal Virginia seemed to be okay. Northern Virginia, definitely. But um, I feel like some of that Western, Western uh, Virginia, Western North Carolina. Mountain Mama. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I mean, Kentucky <laughs> is like, that's the south, and that's as far south as I've been. And I think there's a different Mississippi South is different. I I think it is. I think it is, but then I also I think, think it isn't progression. And maybe there is. If anyone lives in Mississippi and can prove me wrong, I think that I think that that's a thing that it would be interesting. That's what kind of where my question was was going to is that because there's such a reputation. Yes. Because and you don't I, hear about it like Florida. We know we all can agree. We all know Florida sucks. Right. Exactly. Just go ahead, secede, take Marjorie Taylor Greene with you. We yeah. don't hear a lot from Mississippi and Arkansas anymore. Well, because they've, um, it's been on the books so long that they, like, they are reaping the rewards of all of their um, racist white supremacy policies so they're but it's also an interesting thing because i've heard people from mississippi and alabama and they point out that if it's a small enough town because it's such a small town that 
the races were it, it isn't as depicted as other bigger cities you know, like if it if we're like we're in a situation, we're a small southern town and we're poor, we're all poor, so we all had to work together. Oh, There's I still the white supremacy hierarchy. I am sure past, there are there's plenty and like there's plenty, yeah. There's a lot of poor towns. I'm sure there's a lot of black towns in Mississippi and Arkansas. But well, all I will say is that I went on Google Maps and did the street view through Sparta, Mississippi, it's still pretty flat. Mm-hmm. It must change. And that's not a bad thing, but maybe, I, I don't know. And that's my ignorance. Never been. Yeah. Probably never will. No, because <laughs> why would we put ourselves through that? And Alabama. Oh, Al- oh, no. I don't need, I don't. We did, <clears throat> Poppy and I got married in 75. I thought you were about to say in Alabama. <laughs> no. And, but um, it was, so it would have been 75 when uh, we drove from Cincinnati to Fort Hood, Texas. So we had, we went through, I mean, Tennessee, you know, across the river, Tennessee, Arkansas, and we stopped at a truck stop in Arkansas at Was night. Was it Green Book approved? Because we needed gas. Look at y'all too. Just young and thinking that, young and in love and thinking that nothing could I happen. I was scared to death. <laughs> I was good scared to death. But um, the only thing that happened, we did stop uh, on the Tennessee side of the Mississippi River and uh, it was dusk. And so Poppy got out to pump gas and an entire herd of mosquitoes came into the car. And guess what? They only bit me. Not one of those mosquitoes Mm. bit Poppy. This is the fear that white people have always had is that there would be the, the retaliation and so the the mosquitoes retaliated. They mm-hmm. indeed. Not my house. Poppy thought it was hilarious. Um, and you would hit them, and they would explode with all my blood. So you're okay. the one. That, you're the reason that all of like the mosquito. There can be zero mosquitoes in California, and the one will find me and bite me all over. It's your white part. Wow, damn! Look mm. at that. Well, we are doing In the Heat of the Night, 1967. <laughs> this might be our longest intro yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, settle and in, yet, people. our listeners love us yeah. for our banter. This movie follows an African-American police detective from Philadelphia who must overcome racism and prejudice to help the sheriff of a small Mississippi town solve a murder. Now, that's what it said on the little blurb before you start the movie. It sounds like he comes from Philadelphia to help solve the murder, but he doesn't. That is not at all what happened. So, um, uh, February 20th was Sidney Poitier's birthday. Sure was. And um, I read on facebook today that the producer of this just recently died oh Mm -hmm. 
so we will go to the particulars. In the Heat of the Night, it came out on August 2nd, 1967. The Particulars, directed by Norman Jewison, who also did Moonstruck. Mm-hmm. The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming, and the original Thomas Crown Affair. Oh, ooh. The screenplay is by Sterling Siliphant, who also wrote Charlie. Listen to the Charlie, The Poseidon Adventure, Shaft in Africa, The Towering Inferno, episodes of Perry Mason, and Nerd Alert, he was also a close personal friend of Bruce Lee. Interesting. Interesting. Based on the 1965 novel of the same name by John Ball, who also wrote The Cool Cottontail and Johnny Get Your Gun, along with four other Virgil Tibbs books. So... Yeah, he just oh. like Virgil Tibbs, and there's six Virgil Tibbs adventures that you can read about. Hmm. And I, I dated a guy named Virgil. I wanted to in high school. In middle school. Oh, you were a hustler. It's not a very common name, you know? It's not very common. But I do have... Okay, I'm jumping ahead. Go ahead. The books are set in Wells, South Carolina, and Virgil Tibbs is from Pasadena, California. One of the books they changed for the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, It is edited by Hal Ashby. He edited The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming, The Thomas Crown Affair. He was also an acclaimed director in his own, own right. He directed Harold and Maude, Shampoo, Coming Home, and Being There. Mm-hmm. The music is by Quincy Jones, who is yes. an American record producer, musician, songwriter, composer, arranger, film, and television producer. It's My Party and You Don't Own Me. That's Quincy Jones on the production there. A uh, little, maybe you've heard of these, Off the Wall, Thriller, and Bad. That's Quincy Jones on the production Ooh. there. He did the film score for In Cold Blood, The Italian Job, Bob and Carol, and Ted and Alice. He also produced the television shows The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And Nerd Alert, he's related to Betty Washington Lewis, who is the sister of one George Washington. So oh. there you have it. There is and you were saying... Washington? Hmm? <coughs> the George Washington? Yeah, the George Washington. Because and yet when you George were saying Washington, Washington, I was assuming it was somebody black. No, be- because remember what we've all learned in the not-so-distant past is that um, these people who owned other people to do their work would produce more property, that people that they considered property. And, and, so, and name them Washington. Yes. A- and Jefferson or... Mm-hmm. We're just we're just not, you know. So that's why there's a lot of people getting their twenty three and me back being like thirty four percent. What? <laughs> yep. Just, okay. Just you can you can choose not to teach history in classes, but now that we have the DNA test, oh, you think all those people were in love? It was the greatest love story never told. Okay. 
The director of photography is Haskell Wexler, who also shot Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, The Thomas Crown Affair, Coming Home, and Mulholland Falls, to name a few. Mulholland Drive? Maybe. Could be. This is Aaron Notes. So, and these were done two weeks ago, so... Two weeks ago? You did this that far in advance? Yes, these parts, the particulars. Oh, my goodness, I didn't watch until last night, maybe midnight. I, I didn't watch it until this weekend, but I knew I had the particulars. Oh, so. you did the homework. Good for you. Mm -hmm. Time management. So nice. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know much about it is starring, well, I, w I was supposed to have plans this weekend, but Southern California just decided to rain <laughs> heavily <laughs> forever <laughs> with no end in sight. So that was But thank fun. goodness for your planning ahead mm -hmm. so and that you did not get flooded. Shout out to the my engineering alma mater. I guess just walking around that campus, I just was just osmosis. I just absorbed it into me. We have starring as Virgil Tibbs, Sidney Poitier. He was also in A Patch of Blue, A Raisin in the Sun, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, Paris Blues, Porgy and Bess, To Sir with Love. This might have been one of my favorite things I've seen him in. Well, and in 1967, he did this movie in the heat of the night. He also This was the same year that he did Guess Who's Coming to Dinner and To Sir with Love. So in 1967, Sidney Poitier is, he, 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 dare I say it, he's, he's like, it's like what's happening with Jonathan Majors right now. We're just, soon he's everywhere. The most famous man. Um, we have Rod Steiger as Bill Gillespie. He was in The Longest Day on the Waterfront, Dr. Shivago, and the Amityville Horror. Nerd Alert. His mother was an alcoholic, so he ran away to join the Navy at 16. He was a torpedo man on destroyers during World War II. He saw in the battle, he was in, in the, the Battle of Iwo Jima. He was, then he was involved in what's called Halsey's Typhoon, which winds up to 150 miles per hour, and there were 80-foot waves. It took out a whole bunch of destroyers of the Navy. They, like, oh, Japan, don't worry about it. But the typhoon, ha-ha, you thought. Man, he survived by tying a rope to himself and the deck and just flattening himself as the waves crushed. Oh, my God. This man, he saw the shit. He saw the shit. Yeah, he also talks about how, because he was on, like, the destroyers and stuff, like, seeing the Marines from Iwo Jima and Guadalcanal and just, like, their eyes and just being like, wow, so that's a person who is a completely different person now after mm -hmm. that experience. Um, we have Warren Oates as Sam Wood. He was in The Wild Bunch, Tulane Blacktop, and Stripes. We have Lee Grant as the widow, Mrs. Colbert. She was in Detective Story, Valley of the Dolls, Shampoo. And in 1986, she won the documentary for Down and Out in America, which tied for winning the Academy Award for Best Documentary Feature. 
um, it's been called a biting critique of Reaganomics. Lee Grant is a fascinating individual. Yes, she is. She was blacklisted in 1952 for 12 years. So she came out and like in the detective story, it was like, who is this woman? Oh my gosh, she's going to be the next big thing. And so from when she was 24 to 36, she was blacklisted because her husband was named in the, you know, war on communism, the House Un-American Committee's whole thing. And she refused to talk. And so they blacklisted her for 12 years. The, like an actress in this time, 24 to 36. These are her yeah. prime years. And I listened to that a podcast unspooled that they did about in the heat of the night. And there's an interview with her in it. That is, it's pretty interesting because she was just like, it sucked and it was awful that I was blacklisted, but she knew in her heart that she did the right thing to do. Like she was just like, no, my husband, my husband was a communist. We believed in these things and I wasn't going to name names. They named names on me. I was just like, I'm not going to do it. So she was like, yeah, she was she was bitter about it and mad about it. And that's why when she came back and people knew that, that she had been through this, this this movie takes place after that. So that's why her performance is she's coming in because she's got a lot of time to make up. And it was during that period of time, too, that she shifted her focus to documentary filmmaking. She became the first woman to win the Directors Guild of America Award for nobody's child she's currently the only oscar-winning actor that's also um directed an academy award-winning documentary hmm. so and she was still alive and she was um very much into the civil rights movement yeah i mean she's she was one of those people she was about that life she, she's uh -huh. like look there are more important things to me than my career so i'm gonna give up the best years of my life for this because this is some bullshit and i don't agree with it and she walked that walk and then came back and was like i'm lighting all y'all on fire mm -hmm. <laughs> i like that energy <clears throat> we have larry gates as eric endicott he was also in cat on a hot tin roof airport and guiding light james patterson was mr purdy he was in lilith silent night and bloody night William Schallert as Mayor Schubert. He was in Pillow Talk, The Jerk, and Inner Space. Hmm. Um, and we have Scott Wilson as Harvey Oberst. I saw his face. I was like, man, I recognize that guy. He's a young act, like oh, he's uh -huh. a young version of somebody I've seen before. He was in The Right Stuff in Cold Blood and The Great Gatsby and many other things. And we have B. Richards as Mama, Mama Kaliba. She was in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, A Dream for Christmas, Sanford and Son, ER, Frank's Place. And as the butler, we have Jester Hairston. He was a composer, songwriter, arranger, choral conductor, and actor. Um, the theme, he composed the theme Amen from Lilies in the Field. And he's also a leading black expert on spirituals and choral music. I, I I don't have anything. I didn't do any research, but I kind of feel like maybe uh, Quincy Jones like knew of him and was like, "Hey man, he's an actor and tough part from a man, tough part." But you know, so those are the particulars. 
Well, the movie starts with Ray Charles singing in the heat of the night. And right away, you, you're just sucked into it. A train arrives at night. We cut to a greasy diner where a police officer and diner dude have some dialogue while diner dude kills flies with a rubber band. Such an unlikable character. I know. Okay. Uh, The patrolman then goes on rounds around the neighborhood where he finds a dead body. The police chief and doctor arrive. He came all this way to build us a factory and make something out of this town. Look what it got him. The patrol, that's the dead dude. The patrolman is out looking for leads, sees a black man at the train station and takes him to the police station. 1967, Mississippi, what could go wrong? So we are at a POC and we have a lead a person of color in a lead role, the lead role of this mm-hmm. movie. We have um, three people of color who had lines in the movie. The mama, the butler, and... The mechanic. The mechanic. We have lots of field hands. Now, really, mm-hmm. 1967, I didn't realize they were still picking cotton by hand. Well, I wasn't that, that kind of what the factory... I was going to do. Yeah, that yeah. it was. But, and I don't oh, think the people, factory was going to take that. Okay. I don't think that people understand because you think, oh, cotton, it's soft. But to oh. pick cotton is, that's Mm-mm. those are that's a spikiness. Oh, yeah. And you just go and, like, pick Big it. old thorns on there. Inside, the pod has thorns on it. You got to get the cotton out of the pod that has the thorns on it. That's why the cotton gin, Eli Whitney, was... Such a and yeah, and that was way before 1967. I know, but, but this that's... is a very poor, a very poor county in Mississippi as well. And because of other it. things that we've already mentioned in other episodes, like um, remember the the after the Civil War, the Union was get, supposed to go teach literacy and and help former enslaved people, but that all was shut down. And so these people, I mean. Technically, they're probably sharecroppers, sharecroppers, right? But which sounds a lot better than what it actually was. I mean, we we went into it a lot in Sounder too. Yeah, sharecropping. So we had children, and we had the help at the big house. Did you have others? No, that was pretty mm-hmm. much it. Okay, so cast is you know like the whole movie the whole movie yeah the whole point of the movie it's the whole point they even changed things from the book to make it more shocking i think for the movie it was my impression did you read the book no i didn't either (laughs) but i think that would be interesting no but like the book was set in south carolina instead of right right in Mississippi, and um, he was from Pasadena instead of Philadelphia, but um, just the whole idea of being black in a white town, mm-hmm. which also this week was the anniversary of Ahmaud Arbery being murdered for running, just running. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was kind of like similarity, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely. 
and I'm sure there's more on that, but I also had classism of poor, like abortion access for these women in this town when, you know, in other places, um, these, in a rich white woman is getting safe access to abortion mm -hmm. by politicians who may or may not have gotten them pregnant on accident. Exactly. Or in or this there, town, they're still just going to Mama Saliba because it seems like she has like people. I mean, maybe she's. I mean, and, uh, maybe she, I'm sure she's doing a safe. She seemed to care. Maybe she's doing a safe job. But I say, like that, that's one of my hot takes is that um, she's maybe the MVP of the film. <laughs> I, I sort of feel like she. Yeah. Has, and this is but just the need that they had to go. You know, that's the only access they had, mm -hmm. rather than going to a. I mean, she seemed to be just saving But she's probably, that's my thing, is that she's probably comes from a long line of women who that's what their role yeah, was. trained for that. And so that's why I was kind of like, she probably knows more, like, she doesn't have a degree or anything, but, uh, I you mean, know, from an accredited. The they had in this town, she's sure she knew more than the doctors in the town. Mm -hmm. And she knew when, she, when Virgil came in, she was like, oh, you with the man? <clears throat> <laughs> she she basically pointed the finger was like y'all know watching this that this is copaganda just saying we can enjoy this movie and everything but it's still copaganda <laughs> mama salipa just coming out pointing it out just in case you didn't know <laughs> i did read today um there's a plant called queen anne's lace that um it grows like a weed i love it but um and Evidently, it seeds uh, post-coitus helps to um, flow everything on out. Just mm. thought that was very interesting. Allegedly, <laughs> disclaimer, do not come for us. <laughs> uh, well, it's, I do know that it was used in times before there were safe options and, and such, but, um, you know, like Mama Khalifa could have had that upper sleeve as well as other things so i i just yeah, found that somebody has to like especially in the deep south like somebody has to take care of the that's that's one of the things i always bring it up but when um like brown versus the board of education happened like prior to that they're all right black you don't want to teach our black kids we'll teach our black kids we have mm -hmm. black teachers and, and all of this and then when you know, you desegregate the schools, then of course it was like, oh, oh you, of course, you know, black teachers, no, we're going to go with the, the white teachers and stuff. So it was, but there are, it seems to be shifting because HBCUs seem to be addressing the teacher shortage. So it's mm -hmm. going to be kind of interesting. But then, you know, they'll be like, oh, you can't teach that, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, okay, uh, listen yeah. to what I'm saying between my words, students. Yeah. Yeah. But there is a lot of a lot of other casts in this. Like, so please, uh, uh, Christine, are you finished with yeah, your cast? Yeah, go on. Okay, so I'm gonna sit back. And... So the the town that this was set in, Spartan, Mississippi. I was like, oh, Spartan, Mississippi. I wrote it down because I had heard it before, and I just knew that there was gonna be something wild. But I, the only thing I came up with was, I guess the. I know it from this movie, even though this is my first time seeing this film, because all I got was that Sparta, Mississippi was home of Company H of the 13th Mississippi Infantry, a.k.a. the Spartan Band, that enlisted March 23, 1861, 
and its soldiers served alongside the Army of Northern Virginia at First Manassas, Fredericksburg, Gettysburg, just to name a few. They were on the uh, Other side. Confederate side. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, the Confederate flag, that is the battle flag of the Army of Northern Virginia. That's <laughs> just <laughs> there. Um, here's a thing about Cass that I couldn't really... I didn't do a ton of research, but uh, why does his Philly boss want him to help? Does his Philly... Because there's so okay. many different... Yeah, I mean, who knows? We don't know what his Philly boss was like. Yes, because does he uh, hate Virgil? <laughs> and he's just like, stay down there in the South. Is yeah. he ignorant that of what Virgil would be dealing with? Because he's just in his northern bubble. Does he think that it would be character... trying to show them something? Yeah, and does... Cause, but then if he's thinking that he's trying to show them something, that's putting a lot of pressure and burden on Virgil. Like, exactly. Oh. Is he trying... Also, I think a little bit of a classism issue, too, of just expecting people, lower-wage workers than yourself, to do a job without, like, stay... Like, for travel. He the was job... on leave. And the job that I do at the company that I work for, there's like a team, you know, I won't get into it. I'll take my job out of this. But um, I do think there's a thing of like expecting that people are just going to want to do something. Like you're expecting your workers to do something outside of their normal job. Like expect them to stay somewhere that's not their home or... No, I'm going home. And you know what? It could be classist as in he did not have a wife and family waiting for him. So that comes into it, Well, too. that's exactly where I was going with that. Well, yeah, but, but either way, that's that, it's you're wrong. putting, it's you're putting all, that man in danger. His life is in danger. Yes. Yeah. And even more so, I mean, he's in danger just being a black man in Mississippi. But being an educated black man in a suit in Mississippi and like being able to tell the police, you don't know what you're doing, I do. No, that's a bullet in the head. Yeah. I mean, more has been done for less. Emmett Till. Well, so. Mm-hmm. Um, Endicott's Cotton Farm. That, I mean, some people are like, oh, it's a farm. Like, that was a plantation. That man's family mm-hmm, made yeah. his money by not paying his workers and continues to make mm-hmm. money by exploiting those workers. And then he cries at the end of his scene because he couldn't kill Virgil for slapping him. Like, oh, that man can fuck all the way off. I like, he just, I, I know, okay, gotta be careful here because we want men to be able to share their emotions and stuff but that was some that was some sorry sucker shit but he start he just turned and cried and people people read that as like oh it's it's the moment where he realizes that his time is coming to an end no i don't know no no it was uh, how did the this police chief walk out of here with this dude not drag him out of here yeah so all right, so now I've t- I'm going to take a zag where you thought I was going to zig for my cast. Uh-oh, here we go. Because Mr. Coburn came from the north, and 
I read an article. I have it. It's called um, Hollywood Report Hollywood Reporter article by Walter Mosley called Walter Mosley on In the Heat of the Night at 50. Does Mr. Tibbs still matter? And Walter Mosley is a famous author. I believe he wrote Devil in the Blue Dress, right, Teeny? Mm-hmm. And and many uh-huh. other oh, yeah. uh, many other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so he points out in this article that Mr. Coburn came from the North and that this was an example of the North as savior of the South and savior of black people and how mm-hmm. that's a complete fallacy. Yeah. Because so then his widow is from Chicago and when they tell her he she sees she's in the police station she sees how they they're disrespectful to Virgil and she's disgusted by what she sees and I'm like <laughs> you're from Chicago right in 2023 Chicago is the fourth most segregated city in the United States of America so then I read an article in what year this year 2023 it's oh, the fourth. Shit. It's always in the, the top list of top segregated What's the cities. Top three? Um, one's in Arkansas. I think Pine Bluff is number one. I think number two is Detroit. Mm, yeah. Not sure what number three is. I would think um, Boston would be up there. No. Sorry. But anyways, you can look and there's different there's different metrics upon it. So. I didn't write down exactly where I had gotten that information from. But anyways, my point is that Chicago is always around the top of the list when it comes to being the most segregated cities. Mm-hmm. So there's a WTTW uh, news article by Heather Sharon called How Did Chicago Become So Segregated? By Inventing Modern Segregation. So... Chicago, the reason that Chicago is so uh, segregated is because its founders, not its founders, but kind of, well, I'll get into it. They, what they figured out in Chicago was a more subtle and more durable form of institutional segregation that they really honed and defined during the Great Migration. So in Chicago right now, 74% of white Chicagoans, Chicagoans, Chicago. Chicago. People who live in Chicago. Yeah. 74% of white Chicagoans would need to move to another neighborhood to make white and black evenly distributed in the city. That's how segregated Chicago is. And in a 2017 report done by the city, because of that segregation, the city of Chicago has lost $4.4 billion in revenue. Now, that's just in money, and I'm just pointing that out because that's the answer to every question because there's also a ton of murders and people who have lost their lives because of this segregation, but that doesn't move the needle. It's when it hits people's pocketbooks. That's when people start paying attention. So that city, you've lost $4.4 billion because of your segregation. The modern segregation starts in 1917. That's when the United States Supreme Court decision... um, got rid of explicit racial segregation. They said they had violated the Constitution. So the 
white power brokers went to work to find other ways to keep black people on the city's <laughs> south and west sides. Yeah, because... You can't do it blatantly. Exactly. And it's important because around that time, you know, that's when if, you, if you're doing the math, if you're 1917, you, you know what was going on in the deep south. They... The clan, every like Same it was just true. yeah, horrible. So that's why you have people who were like, I got to get up out of here. Mm-hmm, so they started mm-hmm. going north. So people were flooding it, black people especially, flooding into Chicago. And the white power brokers, you know, they had to get to work. So in nineteen nineteen, the first thing that they did was like, Okay, we don't have any laws or anything. Well, let's take a page out of the clan book and just go with old fashioned violent intimidation. So in 1919, you have a man, black man named Eugene Williams. I think man is a bit much. I think he was like young, maybe a teenager. I don't know. But Eugene Williams, he was swimming in Lake Michigan and he drifted across an invisible line in the waters that was somehow divided the waters by race. And just there were just white people on the shorelines who just insulted lost their minds just started picking up stones and rocks and throwing it at him and they hit him and he drowned Mm. and then after that followed a week of violence just shootings arsons beatings black people dying white people dying black people getting hurt white people getting hurt and so chicago at this time is like we are trying to be new york we are trying to be better than new york we can't be better than New York. We got <laughs> all this violence. Yeah. And New York's like, actually, <laughs> violence is the key. But so, but <laughs> Chicago's like, we got to, come on, what the hell? This is, again, this is taking money out of our pockets. Mm-hmm. So we need a solution. What are we going to do? So a lot of the Chicago money, they're also real estate moguls. They formed the organization the first organization in the nation to consolidate the power of property owners to a political force. So, of course, this was designed to benefit whites who own the property at the expense of black people. And they called this the Chicago Real Estate Board. Mm-hmm. So then to prevent what so that they all got together and they're like, all right, this is what we're going to do. In certain areas, we're going to keep those areas from being sold to persons of African blood, Negroes, or really, they're like, really, just if you're not Caucasian, which is hilarious to me because a Caucasian is just like a made-up thing. But anyway, the whole, all of it is just ridiculous. So they're all in cahoots and they're like, yep, got it. So then there was a Supreme Court case in 1926 but the Supreme Court refused to hear it. And that case was out of D.C. where white homeowners agreed not to sell to black purchasers. But the Supreme Court was like, nah, that's like a private matter. That's between y'all. So they kind of did the Homer Simpson into the back of the hedges kind of thing. So then Chicago was like, Ha-ha! this means we are clear. So then... Because of that, that they had already like gotten together and decided that where they were gonna let people of color live, that created a distorted real estate market, which then fostered contract buying schemes. So because black people in the 50s and 60s, they wanted the American dream. The American dream is sold to everyone. 
and that is you buy a home and then you create generational wealth and mm -hmm. that's how you get into the middle class and then you're able to get equity within your home and you're able to generate wealth and then you're able to pass something down to your kids and your kids to college and then give them a foundation and then they go on and so on and so forth upward and mobile which is what they want you to believe that you just you just up by the bootstraps anybody can get it you just need to work hard that's false I've got that these days well, it's it's completely oh. false because the game's already been rigged from the get-go. Uh -huh. So, but black people, it came home from the war and stuff. They were like, we showed that we are just as American, if not more. And they were like, we're going to create generational wealth. Well, mm -hmm. this scheme cost black families in the 50s and 60s three to four billion dollars. So mm. that's three to four billion dollars taken out of black people wallets in Chicago. That's a lot of money. And that's back in the 50s and 60s. And that's money that you don't see today. Right. So what the scheme was, was that in the places where black people were allowed to own homes, black people put down a large down payment and then they would agree to make monthly installments while paying sky high interest rates. Exactly. Except because of um, like the what is it called the FHA and like the the federal government stuff that backs mortgages and stuff. Well, they weren't backing it for black people and stuff. Um, so in a typical mortgage, you pay you're paying your mortgage and you're building equity, and so you're accumulating equity and there are things to keep you. You can't be kicked out of your house for no reason as long as you're making the payments. But with these, no such luck. They weren't mm -hmm. building equity, so they're just making these payments mm -hmm. just to make pay. So it's basically renting. You basically you put down a lump sum to keep renting, and you're just paying interest. And there's nothing that you that can be done because the Supreme Court, ah, that our power. We don't want to hear about it. So mm -hmm. there's no recourse. You're, they're just stealing. Now that you're paying the black people, they're like, you know what? We'll just steal the money that we have to pay them back now. So. Then there was also the redlining of half of all residential neighborhoods in Chicago were just off limits to black people. So okay. that kept the concentration down. Now, remember, we did A Raisin in the Sun. That was written by Lorraine Hansberry. Her dad, that was a famous court case about uh, racial covenants and stuff and suing in the federal court. And that's that was the basis for A Raisin in the Sun. So interesting, the Chicago Real Estate Board that later on became the National Association of Realtors. And in 2020, they apologized for- Did they? Yes, they felt oh. real bad. <laughs> so- I mean, come on, that's gotta be enough, right? I know, Just okay. I'm sorry. It's okay, all's well, go. Okay, but no, there's a 2020 study for every dollar that a bank loaned Chicago white neighborhoods they learned they uh they loaned 13 cents to latino neighborhoods and for every dollar that chicago banks spent on white chicago neighborhoods they spent 12 cents in black neighborhoods Ooh. so the next time that you see something in the news about another shooting in chicago and you're just like ah, those people just can't get it together 
Why are there ki- why are they killing their own? Um, maybe it's because they've routinely been swindled. And so and the reason that I brought this up in the cast and stuff is because it's real easy for us to just be like, ah oh, man, the heat of the night, the South. Ah, just mm-hmm. taking advantage of mm-hmm. and, and you know, the woman comes down and she's like, My God, you people. But she's from Chicago and she's a wealthy Chicagoan. So she's wealthy. Yeah. She's, she's benefited white. from this as well. She had a really bad wig, but she was white. So that's cast. And it's not just Chicago. It was every city. Everywhere. But I, I feel like that there's a part of the North and like in the in America where Northerners, it's very easy to, mm-hmm. oh, we didn't, we didn't own enslaved people. But what me? Who, who was... Who was uh, making those textiles? Like you know, like this the cotton came from the south and went to northern factories. But you didn't, y- your people didn't um, didn't benefit you. Like that's that's a fallacy. That's that's false. That's not a fact. Slavery was good for a lot of people. <laughs> that's, Everybody except the black people. Yeah, that's why people went to war. <laughs> Because that, that's the funny thing that they're talking about, like, oh, the second civil war and wanting to succeed and stuff. And I'm like, well, okay, but like they went to fight in order to keep people enslaved. And so when, when we when we come up against an, another issue like that, where it's it's that cut and dry, where you're like, ah, nah, like, I mean, I don't know too many issues where you're what would you be willing to like die for? You know, like my freedom (laughs) to not be enslaved is that's a pretty big one. So that that's I would that's just wild to me that people oh another civil war. I'm like well, I mean that was a pretty big thing. I know that we don't know that it is because we don't teach it, (laughs) but (laughs) because we're like oh the the civil war because people wanted to give up their lives over states' rights. It's freedom, bitches. <laughs> okay, we are to nerd alerts. Anyone? I get back to I you. Have, I have tasty, but what? I don't have nerd yeah. alerts. Well, let's paint this. Like, so when does this come out? It's coming out in August 1967. In film-wise, Charlie Chaplin. His last film, A Countess from Hong Kong, premiered in the UK. I'm sure there was nothing problematic about that. <laughs> oh, oh, God. There is many, many Vietnam. I have a question. Or... I'm sorry. Uh-huh? Did the movie take place in 67? I wondered that, too. And I think maybe based on... Oh, because the... the book was written before. The cars and the clothes. I think it might have been 67. I think it was. I mean, the okay. book... Came out in '65. Okay, so, so it's around the time, same time period. Mm-hmm. I really don't think it. It's kind of thing you hear in 1967, and you just thought things were a little bit more progressive. Oh, teeny, that's because oh. I mean you don't, but like, you know, I mean it just puts it here. Like '67 is not that far away. I know. Yeah. So but in 1967, I mean the country was seeing. American GIs and body bags, right, Ma? Vietnam. Like on the news, Vietnam, Vietnam was, was huge. 
You had um, the the Green Bay Packers beat the Kansas City Chiefs in the first ever Super Bowl. It wasn't even called the Super Bowl then. No, and it was just yeah. Uh Wilhelm Holster goes to trial in Munich for murdering 82,856 Jews, including Anne Frank. Mm. He Is was this in, the Nuremberg trials? Well, he was in charge of the German security police during the German occupation of the Netherlands. And how how, how much time did old Wilhelm get for murdering 82,855 Jews plus Anne Frank? <laughs> well, oh, it was Jews, so, I mean, you're... You know, I mean, you're not going to, it's not like, you know, whole people or anything. Well, that's how it was looked at. Teeny, what do you think? What's a a fair Uh, amount of time? My only guess is not enough. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. That's the correct answer, Ma. (laughs) 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 Not, Not sarcasm. Like he didn't get... An infinite amount of time? Like, he got enough time to be let out? Uh, He got 15 years. That's it? 15? 15? 15? Look at, like, life sentences for murdering one person. Yeah. Well, so I guess maybe Ma is... (laughs) I mean... I mean, you laugh at me, you cringe at me. Sometimes I tell the truth. Mm-hmm. She's been on this planet my for seventy truth. something years. It's not my truth, but it's. No, I I think that he should have been. I mean, honestly, I would have to bust out a calculator. But just if I'm just being off the top of my head, I think he should have at least gotten I don't know eighty two thousand eight hundred fifty six years, and that's just one year for every life killed. But or let's go back to drawn and quartered. Oh, you know what that okay. is, right? Well, you, obviously, you are not Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> that is a very nasty way to go. But, I mean, is there anything? I don't know. I don't Because I don't know where I am on the, the death penalty myself. Yeah. That's the tough well, one. That's I mean, the person, it's... in my opinion, if you were going to give it to anybody. Mm-hmm. But also, I don't almost rather you sit there and have to think about what you did. Yeah. Yeah, except I really feel like they sit there and go the entire time. How did this happen to me? I mean, I was following orders. Yeah, and it's also after, because this is 1967, so he's all lived, like, the, his, the best years of his life. Right. Are, like, no offense, Ma, but... <laughs> I'm just saying, like, if you Call committed a from here. if you committed a crime now, wouldn't you be like, hey? <laughs> this isn't the first time I've thought of that. So, um, Muhammad Ali was stripped of his boxing title mm-hmm. for refusing military service because, as he famously pointed out, no, it's Viet Cong, right? No mm-hmm. Viet Cong ever called me the N word, and point. Very valid point. point. But I will tell you, in my household... Oh, because he that's... Would, he wouldn't go, sir. But that, I mean, to me. But that's coming from my white grandfather, who served in World War II, and that was a very different 
Exactly. Very different war. Um, yeah. Yeah. And is also coming from a very different perspective. Yes. This was the summer of 67 was also the summer of love and loving versus Virginia, which okay, that's right. made, made us all here not criminals. So a round of applause. Take a shot. Woohoo. I have to change one of my. Yeah, you were not born a crime. Um, there were all. <laughs> They're so loud. There were also more than 150. So this is for you, Teeny. Think it all. 1967 is all nice and tranquil. More than 150 race rebellions and uprisings triggered, stop me if you've heard this before, by incidents of police brutality and harassment of people of color. You don't say. Yeah. It's just just like crazy. People just went to the streets. They called them riots. I prefer the term rebellion and uprising. And finally... In 1967, on April 4th, Mm -hmm. 1967, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. denounces the war in Vietnam during his sermon at the Riverside Church in New York City. And therefore sealed his death warrant. Exactly one year later. Yep. On April 4th, 1968. All of, his, all of his um, people looking out for him, all of those uh, patrolmen, all of those detectives, all of that, oh, just pulled from the scene. Oh, Wait a pulled. second. Wait, you okay. Well, now you are. What is it? Now you are taking money out of a lot of people's pocket because a yeah. lot of people made a lot of money off of the Vietnam War. Yes, they did. Oh my God. Yes, so they did. Now and because there were because that was kind of a big split, because there were a lot of people who um like a lot of white people, young white people who were got into protesting because of the Vietnam War. It wasn't necessarily like, oh, what's going on with black? You know, there because of segregation and whatnot. You like, you, you know, you you live what you know and you see and all that. And so, you're just going about your life. You're like, wait a second, I can go over there and you're gonna shoot what? Huh? No, I don't want what? Wait, wait, time out. What's going on? And then they were like, oh yeah, well actually we're kind of in the same boat. Wait, 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 what are we doing to black people? Wait, what's going on? Wait, wait, tell me more about this. And then they're like, nope, we need to keep this separate. We need to keep these two different things. And I, that's wild to me that it was exactly, he comes out, because you guys always said that when I was a little kid. They were like, he was killed because he came out with Vietnam. That's what sealed his exactly. fate. I didn't realize it was exactly 365 days later to the day. Follow the money. So the top films of 1965, number five. 67. I'm sorry, it's 1967. So number five is Valley of the Dolls. Number We're four. Have to do it. Yeah, The Dirty Dozen. Which, speaking of World War II, you know. Yeah. Number three, Bonnie and Clyde. Because 67, uh-huh. this is a big time when when it's it's the um. The changing of the guard in a will. It's it's uh-huh. a, a new generation is coming about, uh-huh. and you, this is reflected in the films as well. Um, you have number three was Bonnie and Clyde. Number two is Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. 
Mm-hmm. And the number one film of 1967, The Graduate. Mm. Which, how many older people pro- saw The Graduate and were like, what the hell is this? <laughs> not a lot, because they heard other people going, do not go see it. It is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Mm. So the this Oscars. Yeah. The best oh, okay. picture. This is what was nominated for Best Picture in 1967. Guess who's coming to dinner? The Graduate. It, that was, it, it, guess who's coming to, that was a, um, you know, toss him a bone. There you go. The Graduate, Dr. Doolittle, Bonnie and Clyde. It is funny that Dr. Doolittle's in here. <laughs> I just now looked at it. You have guess who's coming to dinner, The Graduate, Dr. Doolittle, Bonnie and Clyde, and the, the film that won the Academy Award for Best Picture this year, In the Heat of the Night. Oh. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I believe, Teeny, that the reason that you picked this was because of the Best Actor category. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, it sure was. Mm-hmm. So we, the nominations in that category, a posthumously nominated Spencer Tracy for Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul Newman for Cool Hand Luke. Yeah, I mean, okay. Mm-hmm. Dustin Can't Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman for The Graduate. Mm-hmm. Warren Beatty for Bonnie and Clyde. And the winner from this film, Rod Steiger. Oh, yeah, because he was only nominated for something. Uh uh But not uh for this, not for this. Wait, was he nominated as supporting actor, Sidney Poitier? I don't know if it was for this or... I think it was just, like, talking about something he was robbed for. I should have written that down. I should have written down the reason why. I could probably look at my notes. I I was just wondering, because it's totally... He is totally the main actor in this story, but that doesn't mean that's what he's going to be nominated for. And the three films that came out... Like he was in this. Uh-huh. I think it was uh-huh. Two Sir with Love and um, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. And yeah, he and so. Okay. Well, Wait. Look- this is the article I got it from. And this is why I was confused. Because it <laughs> says Sydney Poitier for In the Heat of the Night, 1982. And that's the wrong year. Yeah. Mm hmm. And it said he wasn't nominated. For, he wasn't even not. I, I think maybe they just got the. I think they just got the year wrong in the article because it says, especially as disgracefully, he wasn't nominated for his Titanic turn and any of the night. Instead, the best actor in a leading role nomination went to Rod Steiger, who wasn't even the lead. Mm-hmm. Sidney exactly. Poitier's Virgil Tibbs definitely was, it was one of the most shameful overlooks in Oscar history, especially considering the film's content. So I think they were, I mean, he didn't even get nominated for it. It was just an overlook and somebody who what should have been nominated for What did he get his Oscar for, for? Lilies of the Field, I think. Oh, okay. Okay. I, th- I think that's just off the top of my head. I can look it up while you do your negative reheatables. Oh, we are to negative reheatables. Okay, making fun of the name Virgil when 
your your right hand man in the station is Courtney. You were asking people to. I mean, that's that's cast. That's just it's it's ridiculous anyway. You know what I mean? Okay, that wig. I mean, come on. Okay, the black lawn jockey, which are still very prevalent in Lexington, Kentucky, and Louisville. Well, because it's not. We don't mean it racist. It's not at all racist. I hated every time Virgil Tibbs said, you dig? It's just such a dated, like, cool term that didn't, didn't um, last, didn't, um, it's a bad reheatable. Um, Of course, blatant racism, overt racism, but blatant racism. I had a couple others written down, but they didn't make the cut to the journal. So other negative reheatables. Well, I have the, so I'm looking for 19, the Academy, the 40, this was the 40th Academy Awards. And no, he was not nominated for Best Actor and he wasn't nominated for Best Supporting So he was just ignored. He was the guy... The white guy from Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, the um, the Monsignor guy was nominated Best Supporting Actor oh for Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. God. Yeah. So he wasn't even nominated in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Yeah, I'm so into Sir with Love. He had he had one of the greatest years in film history, and he was not nominated for any of those performances. Mm-hmm. Well. To Sir with Love, he was a he was a teacher, and there were you know high school girls, so I kind of see that, but it's not right. But um, no, okay, moving on. So he won the Best Actor, nineteen sixty three Best Actor. So by this time, he maybe they were like he already had had won. Oh yeah, you can't ask He's for a black man one. He's named brother one. Come on. I mean, we can't have him thinking that he's something. But all what? that. I think he's Mr. Tibbs or something. What? I have Mississippi. <laughs> I have the 1960s. It just seems like everything was just muted. But and great I know music, there was the summer the of love. And I also, there's a whole opposite side of me that loves the, I took a class, my favorite class in college, the only one I'll ever remember. It was called the Psychedelic Experience. Mm. And it was a summer class and my teacher was blind and he would joke about it all the time. Like on the first day of class, he was like, all right, raise your hand if this or the other and everybody raise your hand and be like, ha ha, can't see you. Um, <laughs> and he... Clearly did a lot of drugs in the 60s and was really, you know, talked about it. See, that sounds like fun. But then in reality, I feel like what most people experienced was like a very muted, depressing time. It From was. my point of view. And maybe that's not your experience. And for that, good good for you. I mean, I, that was those were the years I was growing up. So Was it all sepia-toned? 
Yeah, it yeah, and um like you just kept waiting for the next person to get assassinated. It was just... It was also like the Cold War too, right? Like we were big into like, oh, um yeah, are you gonna get a... killed from bombs and stuff? Mm. Yeah, we had a uh like Grammy put food in the cell you know our cellar from mm-hmm. like there is nothing going to shield us from anything nuclear down there. But yeah, because GE was the plant where my dad worked and they were making the jet engines for all the planes that were, you know, and so um, that was going to be like, that's a, a, a big bomb site, uh, you know, a great place to take out. All we so, live is by bombs. This family. <laughs> but yeah, like, you know, she kept canned foods down there, and it was like... Well, it's also smart tornadoes, you know. I mean, there is that practicalness. Yeah. Oh, um, uh, and then I have the Mississippi heat. Seemed really hot. And humidity. Always, always sweating. Don't forget the but humidity. But I personally enjoyed that. Um, the creepy pie guy. He was so creepy. Why did she even have sex with him? Did she, though? I I mean, like, agree to? He raped her. Absolutely. He raped her. And food that sits out in cases. And the the fly captured inside Inside. the side. Yeah, exactly why the food in the cases is, yeah. Okay, we've gone. uh, This is available on Paramount Plus after this. It's, we're probably going to spoil things, so you can go watch it because things will be said. But it's interesting because at first I was like, oh, this is going to be so depressing. But right away you get into the the murder. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we do love a murder. You get into the, the mystery of solving the murder. And so I was on the edge of my seat. Yeah, exactly. Because okay, you want to solve the murder. You also don't want him to die. And you want to know, okay, who Didn't did the murder? Him. And I thought Lee Grant, she was high on my radar for quite a while. Mm-hmm. So is it my turn for negative reheatables? Yeah. Oh, so what movie are y'all talking about? This is one of our shortest films. It comes in a nice 10 minutes and 34 seconds because that is the point of time. When the cop confronts Mr. Tibbs at the train station, tells him to get to his feet, Mr. Tibbs stands, but the officer fears for his life and shoots all the bullets into Mr. Tibbs. End of the film. Yeah, truth, truth Honestly, be told. Honestly. Truth be told. Yeah. Tell, show me the lie. Yeah. So Obviously, he- you are the killer. And... um. And uh, Academy Award winner would have gone right along with that. He was ready to tie this up wh- however he could to get uh, it he done. He was really, he was going any kind of way to tie it up. Yeah, just go ahead. And you could be like, oh, Aaron, you're just being facetious and all. But as Teeny pointed out, I think that it's very interesting to show Virgil, he got in on the 12-something train, and his next train going out was the 4-something and mm-hmm. he just stayed planted in that train station. Because he's not a stupid man. Because, because the anger I felt when he was sitting there and he was like, I'm supposed to get the 405 train. Yeah. And then you hear the train go by. Like, yeah. you made me miss my motherfucking train. Motherfucking 
And if he if he had said, because that's that's always the what is the term? Criticism is too harsh of a word, but that's always something that's pointed out with Sidney Portier, and he made it a conscious effort. He was very intentional in the roles that he chose, and a lot of yes. people push back and say he was always playing the perfect, the per like who can who can be all of these things. Right, well, but he wasn't the perfect man in this. No, but I mean, when the when the guy, the police officer came up to him, he himself is a police detective from Philadelphia, and he had to just sit there and he couldn't say anything, he couldn't do anything. He had to just be like, "Yes, ma'am." I get that makes me angry because you're asking, you're asking for somebody to behave superhumanly, and that's not how most people behave. Right. Somebody comes up to you and they're like, come with me. He's going to say something and then his life ends. And you're right. like, oh, no. He couldn't say anything. It, and it happens. Right. <clears throat> In the Walter Mosley article, he mentioned James Blake, the tennis player. But I was like, oh, yeah, that happened because it doesn't matter. Like, you can take off and rattle off any Ahmed Arbery. You can rattle off. I don't even. I mean. Right. There's something that happened within the last couple of weeks that that the name I should know the name and it should I should be saying his name because he's no longer with us over some bullshit. Like it happens daily on a daily basis. Yeah. And that's kind of that's kind of where I kind of bristle a bit when watching this because he he had to play he had to thread the needle and play everything so cool and people will watch this film people who aren't I mean, white people, uh, not specifically you guys, but like the mass of just the general white people watch it and just be like, oh, well, that's all you have to do. You know, mm -hmm. like he's alive because you don't don't argue, don't struggle, don't don't stick up for yourself. Don't slap back, you know, like and that's why I was just like, wow, this film just ends it really realistically 10 minutes and 34 seconds. Yeah, you're right. So, yeah. Um, then the opening fonts, I thought that they were a little too fun for my taste. I was mm -hmm. just like, what is this? Is this supposed to somehow code as Southern? These fonts? I don't, I don't know. But then I kind of went back around. And I'm like, okay, I kind of enjoy it now. Uh, yeah, yeah, I didn't care about the font because Ray Charles was singing uh, Quincy Jones arranged in the heat of the night, so I was fine with it. Um, a lot of my re bad reheatables are just bad reheatables because they're still so relevant for today. Um, pointing out just like the chief's grand, like the chief, he probably came from a line of lawmen, and he's down in the south, so I'll bet significant money that his grandfather was someone who rounded up people who escaped from their freedom. Oh, you know. And you know what else? He was probably there as a little kid, mm -hmm. watching the hanging, mm -hmm. watching all of that. I mean, like, how different is that from what my man Wilhelm got fifteen years for? You know, You're fifteen years—it's crazy. Um, man, for a for a cop again, the film, the police work in this is very poor, <laughs> like. You got Sam who takes Virgil in without properly frisking him. He was able to find the wallet, but yet didn't find his police badge. So that's troubling. No rubber gloves. Yeah, Virgil's just touching all the evidence with his bare hands. 
Um, and then I don't even really understand the how and why of the conclusion. I rewatched the beginning of this film because here we go. So the guy that we don't like, Ralph, he's the first guy that we see. We After we see in the credits, you see the feet of Vir- Virgil going to the bus yeah. station. Then it right. cuts to the cafe place and homeboy Ralph killing the flies and stuff with what's his face. So in that scene, he's already committed the murder, right? Yeah. Yes. And I just, I, I like, I, I don't even understand really the, the logistics of the crime and the murder and how I was thinking of murder. I'm glad you don't either, because like I, I didn't either understand really why he did it. I get from what I read is that Ralph was out and I guess he the girl needed an abortion. I I I thought that Ralph didn't like uh women, so Ralph was the pie guy, right? Yes. He was diner dude. He was but diner Ralph dude. didn't knock her up. He Ralph did. is her brother? No, he no. did. He the, the did movie, knock her up. Yes. Yeah, Diner Dude. Yeah, did so why did he up. need to kill the other guy? He didn't. He So he took the guy. He saw he the guy. The, the guy money. picked him up. So the, the Coburn guy saw Ralph out, picked him up, hitchhike situation. They get to talking. Ralph was asked for a job. Coburn oh, took and him. he was like, I could just bop him and get his money, and then he killed him. Right, Coburn took him to like the location, and that's where he got the other stuff that led to the Endicott red herring. And so then he was just like, oh, I'll just hit him on the head and take his money for to pay for the abortion. But he hit him a little too hard and killed him. So okay. then... And come on, this guy is... He's a wet noodle. Yeah, but those are... Still, he was... He did seem like... That yeah, was what was, was so... He was the out. second watching of it was chilling because this man is a has just committed murder and this police guy's here and he's just that's it reminded me of the, like the end of the murder by death where there's like oh and and it gets solved basically I yeah. I lost track yeah. I lost yeah. the thread of the the whole th- and I know that that wasn't the point of the film the point of the film was to show exactly and you know what else the point of the film was to show that. Virgil also had his prejudices. But Virgil has his prejudice because, because <laughs> like there's a he needs his exactly. prejudice to stay alive. Like that. Exactly. It's what, not the same. Don't what no prejudice don't like but man, people love to say that it's the same point it back. It, uh-huh. it was yeah, and the unspooled, they were they kept going on and on. And I was like, wow, y'all really okay. Yeah, because well. the chief says to Virgil, you're just like the rest of us, ain't you? Yeah, he is, except <laughs> except that what except, he's grown up with. Yeah. Yeah. Except if he was to let a white woman, <laughs> he becomes fruit hanging from a tree. Except other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, what'd you think of the play? You know? Um, whatever was going on with that 16-year-old girl. She, See, I, mean, I kept wondering if there was, like, um, the brother was yeah, involved. 
That's what yeah. I thought. Yeah, I really That's what did I thought too. the whole time. Mm-hmm. Mississippi. I know. Because look, the it said she's 16. If you if she wants to to do whatever she wants with her body and be out there and stuff, but she's 16. When they were when I was watching it in the beginning, I'm like, okay, this is interesting, but look, I'm not going to kink shame her. She's allowed to do what she wants to do. Obviously, she knows the man is watching, and it's a hot night, and she wants to be topless and have a Coca-Cola. I'm not going to shame this woman. He drank then, a lot of Coca-Cola. Man, as she was 16, I was like, oh, somebody has done some things to her. We need to exactly. check on her. What's Previous going on with her? This. And then yeah. that scene that she has where she's being all like completely inappropriate, seductive to to all the men talking about like lying and saying that Sam Wood was the guy that hit her up. And I was just like, this woman, we need an interventionalist. We need a, we need someone. This She's Social not okay. Worker. Social, Social worker. worker. She's not okay. She's not okay. And Oh, finally, my my final negative reheatable. Man, like every recap, everything I listen to, they're always talking about how Virgil was born and raised in, in Sparta, Mississippi. I'm like, no. No, he wasn't. No, he was passing through. He yeah, was yeah. He didn't want to be there. The train just stopped there and he had to catch another train. Yeah, I was listening to that again. That unspool podcast was like, oh, he was visiting his mother. It's like his, yeah, but not from Sparta because no, that's the. But then in the eighties, a TV show came out and they yeah. they made it that that's where he was from. And mm. so, but they gave no him a wife and a family. Yeah. Now I did hear that they chose Sparta because there was a Sparta, Illinois. And then they wouldn't have to change all the badges mm. and oh. all the signs. So they just made it Sparta. Illinois. Mississippi. Mississippi. But it was really Sparta, Illinois, because uh, Sidney Poitier said, uh-uh, I don't go south. And so that made sense because there are some scenes where you can see their breath. And I'm like, I thought this was in the heat of the night. That night, yes. Is it that humid down in Mississippi that... Because I also heard they had to put ice cubes in their mouth to stop that, <gasps> but it didn't stop it completely. Yeah. Oh. Because the only person who always sweated was Diner Dude. He was always sweating. And Sam. Yes. Yes. Because I didn't understand why the wife, Lee Grant, always had so many clothes on. Like she always had an over sweater. Or an over jacket. It's hot. Okay. Um, so we we did our all negatives, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we're to positives. Orchids. They had fifteen thousand dollars worth of orchids in that hot house. Mm. I do love me some orchids. The second slab. You know, the slap and then the second slap. Uh, Oh, mm -hmm. my God. Oh, my God. Now, you notice that they were both. The first one was a backhand and then he was like, take five on the blackhand side. I was like, (laughs) 
And B. Richards is I, anytime she's on screen. I just thank you, thank you. Mm-hmm. Looking great. She looks like, really good in this. I liked the intro song, the music overall. Mm-hmm. The train. I like train travel. I'm I do fan. too because I come see you on it. Mm-hmm. But it's like so long to get some places. Like. I've looked to get to New York to North Carolina and it's like it's 11 hour train ride. It's like yeah. too long. They need wait, a Sella doesn't go down to North Carolina. It does, that's, but it's 11 hours. Luxury. That sounds luxury. Yeah, the speed one. Um, at that point I'll fly. Wrap around porches. Mm-hmm. Big fan. Big fan. Enjoying an ice cold soda while naked. I've always, I have always gotten in trouble by my parents, by Adam, until we lived here for people saying, people can see you through the window. <laughs> I enjoy being naked sometimes. Like, if you're like, like, <laughs> hey, if I looked like you, I would enjoy being naked no, as well. I like, in my, when I was young, just like in, when you were young. <laughs> no, like in my bedroom. Like, I don't know, I'm getting ready. I would just be changing clothes or whatever. My mom would be like, you know, people can see you. I'm like, no, they can't. No, they, no, they can't. And then in in Jersey City, I, you know, I love to drink a ice cold Diet Coke or like Diet Mountain Dew, fresh out of the shower or like something like that. Like nothing more luxurious. And Adam would be like, people can see you through the window. I'm like, no, they can't. Now we're on the first floor, and I can see into the people behind us, so I know that they can see into here. (laughs) So you have to be a little bit more (laughs) conscious of that. That's why I put up the, I'm on the first floor too, and I have the, if I have the blinds open, which blinds are only open work hours, but I also have like the... What is it? Like a sheet on it? So oh, I yeah. just we see the top and the no bottom. No. But then once that goes, everything's closed. Everything's closed. And I don't luxuriate naked, but I am someone who I'm, I'll take off all the clothes. And it's it's like in a function of like, okay, um, I finished working out, take off all my clothes. I'm about to shower, but I need to preheat oh, the oven. Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. I that happened to me today. Just I got out of the shower. Yeah. I was about to go, to go somewhere, but I had to prepare something in the crock pot. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm just naked. I'm not, mm-hmm. like, I don't And I mean, by naked, I still have, like, underclothes on. Oh, no. I mean, oh, oh, I am ooh. completely naked. Oh, but naked, I'm not, naked. I'm not lounging around. That's, I'm not a... But mm. I guess when I, I have, call me a liar though, if when I'm waiting for the bath to heat up and I got a little excited and take off all my clothes and I'm like, cause sometimes mm. I'll have to, to um, add in some, some boiling water just to make it uh, oh, get the heat yeah. up a little bit more, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm like waiting for the pot to boil and I'm checking the, what's the, what's the bathtub situation like? And I'm already naked. Cause I just, <laughs> except a lot of times because I don't want to trip and fall. Because I have the boiling water, so I'm naked with socks and tennis shoes on. That's my girl. Oh, God. See? 
carry cautions. Oh, That's also, right. I can walk the boiling water to the bathtub and not. Exactly. Yeah. You I don't sure. want boiled toes. Yeah. No, no, because then I'm naked and I have to like call, you know, it's a, you got to think of the crime scene of what yes. people will find. So. She and always then... was an overthinker. <laughs> <laughs> Lastly, I have, well, I were at Bloodhound, so I guess they were just scent hounds. You know, I had a I had a a thought about the because I always think of the bloodhounds following the escaped slaves, so mm. I, mm. I I hate that sound, and and the bloodhounds following Paul Newman and Cool Hand Luke. It's I it's just not a yeah that's not my favorite. Book. I have that too. I just think they're so talented. Like I just yeah. like them for what they can do. Like exactly, and they're only doing their job. They can yeah. use. They can find. They do a lot of good work with cadaver dogs and mm-hmm. finding oh, yes. dead people and finding oh, yeah. people. Like in nine eleven, they did a lot of good work in the in finding the rubble and they help find people. Yep. But it's like when I see a, like, you know me, I love dogs, but man, when I see a German Shepherd, <laughs> I'm just. That's that's part of the just my conditioning of okay, uh, in, hello hello German Shepherd like that's one of those. It would have to be a wild scenario for me to have a German Shepherd. Like, I'm not saying yeah, I know we have one. Well, he's but he's a no, mix. but he's not. He's not like he's such a gentleman. He I don't picture him in the Hugo Boss <laughs> like yeah. rocking out Nazi style, you know? Like, no, he would not, never. Yeah. He no, is not a Nazi he, dog. He's got it in him, but he doesn't have the look. I and I know that that is me being. Um, it is. Uh, uh, whatever. But there's a reason. Breedist. Yeah. I guess breedist. It's yes. not their fault that humans use them for the wrong. Exactly. Yeah, that is exactly right. Yes. But I hear those ye- those dogs barking those and howling. Like, and yeah. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. I was saying to that dude, climb a tree. I was just yeah. So are those your? Those are my positives. I <laughs> man. The... It didn't. We already talked about it. Put the bar like he was asking for the pie, and there was just a piece of marble cake. And you know, I love marble cake, but even I, because he lifted it up, and there was a fly inside with it, and I was like, Nah, I'm exactly. Good. That fly laid so many eggs on there. Yeah, because tomorrow you know, morning there were gonna be all those. Yeah, that's my favorite cake too, and I know why he didn't want it because it was marble. It was the mixing of the cakes. But that's why I love it. But I was like, no, there's a fly in it. I will move on, move on. Um, that okay, people. But then people like are like, oh, Mr. Tibbs, and they make him think that that Endicott is that the reason that he thinks that Endicott was the one that did it was because of Tibbs's prejudice against Endicott. You know, mm-hmm, his racism, mm-hmm, his mm-hmm. reverse racism, but. In the movie, the reason that he thinks that Endicott did it is be, like he follow he's following the evidence because he it's right. that orchid thing, and then he goes and he sees like oh he owns the plantation and what's his face Colburn or Colbert was gonna give it was gonna be the factory is gonna be half white half black. Obviously, this man probably 
has other ideas about races being equal and whatnot. So right. I just think I have that, a I have a quote about that. Okay. So I was just like, um, no, this man is following the evidence, and the evidence is leading him to think that this plantation owner was up to nefariousness. Oh, that's crazy to think. And I have okay. The and then from the unspooled podcast, they were talking about the scene with the medical examiner and how Tibbs was speaking to He's them. He's not even a medical examiner. He's just a doctor in town. Oh, okay. I had written medical examiner, and then I went, no, he's just a doctor. Not that that's, but it it's two different things. Well, they were pointing it out to show how the way that Virgil was speaking to them is he was saying, oh, well, wouldn't you say? Oh, well, correct me if I'm wrong. Wouldn't you agree? And they were saying how he was speaking like very carefully and making it be collaborative. And I'm listening to this and I'm like, yeah, because he's speaking that way because his life depends on... He doesn't want to die. Yes. His life depends on not making them feel inferior. So he has to... He's threading a needle there. But it was just interesting to see how they they took the scene as him being collaborative and stuff. I'm like, that motherfucker's life is on the line. Um, the chief, he totally gets fired at the end of this film. Like he got, he got fired. They're running him out of town. The time, like when he brought Virgil in, they were running him out of town. But then after the slap and Indica, I was like, what are you going to do about that? And he said, I don't know. He's getting run out of town tomorrow the next day so then here's my thing does he move up north and perhaps expand his dating pool i mean it is legal now in 1967 he 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 kind of seemed and i was kind of watching the second time i'm like maybe we shouldn't be restricting chief gillespie to the female persuasion So I just think that that was an an interesting take. Maybe he... That was an interesting scene when he and Virgil were at the chief's house and the the chief is saying, are you married? No. Are you married? No. Yeah. I I didn't want it to go any further than that. (laughs) It couldn't. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. So many reasons to kill Virgil. And the best reheatable about this film is, tell me what's really changed. Yeah. Yeah. Or the worst. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but that's... There will be people who will point out and be like, oh, no, but... I mean, Virgil Tibbs is still getting harassed (laughs) today. Has he... Yeah. 2023, he stops in the middle of the night at a bus station. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you watch the 1619 project, one of the I haven't finished it, but um I forget what episode it is, but it shows there's a cop interaction with Ahmed Arbery that has nothing I think it's a couple of years before he ends up being killed with he was just working and he was just um taking a break in his car that was parked in a field. And the cops just come, like, just harassing him, yelling yeah. at him, pulling him out. 
and he was just like i was working over there i'm just sitting here i just i'm just relaxing why can't i just and they're like oh we got reports about it all that Mm -hmm. so tell me what has changed i mean he wasn't in a three-piece suit or anything but is like that's not I've, I've seen there was the the lieutenant who was in, a lieutenant in the United States military putting his life on the line for the country that got pulled out of the car by cops and stuff. So it doesn't yeah. it doesn't matter what that's cast. Yeah. It doesn't matter what your suit is, what you're wearing. I will say Virgil Tibbs suit fit him quite well. Nice suit. Nice it Philadelphia very, tailor. Very nice. Okay. Uh, also, wait. This, I just thought of this. He's from Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, the city that educated me. And the amount of restraint <laughs> that Virgil from being from Philadelphia, because that is not a place of people who hold their tongues. No, sure ain't. It is. It is but not. But he knew where he was. That, yeah. He's an educated man. But he he's also. He's also the, the the superhuman because that's is a super he's that extraordinary superhuman to do that. That's this that's wild to me. So now we are to quotables. Mm-hmm. May I see the man I'm supposed to have killed? Very nice. And then Lee Grant, my God, what kind of people are you? Then she says, what kind of place is this? So good. But again, she's from Chicago, though. (laughs) So this is the dude who lives in the big house of the old plantation, the old cotton plantation. Endicott. Mm Mm-hmm. Because like the Negra, they need care, feeding, and cultivation. That takes time. Oh, is that why you like orchids so much, Ma? Oh, my gosh. No, you like orchids because you like orchids. Yeah. No, because... <laughs> it's a bit told, more definitive. <laughs> I kill every orchid I, I get because huh? I don't know how to keep it. I don't know how to cultivate it and give it the care and the, what it needs to, to, to live on. And yet, you've been married for how many years? Thus pointing Indicott negative. You've just disproved his point. And then you're just like the rest of us, ain't you? You got your, you got your, uh, you got your uh, prejudices. How can you not growing up? How, okay. Okay. Yeah, but Those his prejudices my... aren't good. Aren't putting Indicott's life in his hands, like you know. Right. Right. Because when he when he starts, okay, I'm sorry, but when he when they're in the orchid greenhouse, white a greenhouse glass house, you know, he's like very educated in orchids. So Indicott is it Indicott? Mm-hmm. Is like I, I think kind of a touch impressed that he knows his orchids, but he's gonna find a way to use that to cut down Tibbs because yeah, you think you're a touch or uh, educated with this, but 
I know more than you do, Abs. So yeah, because he's just superior. Like that's the way Indicott views it. He doesn't even mm-hmm. eat. He's just why? Because duh, my skin. I have. They call me Mr. Tibbs. Mm-hmm. It was so good. I remember seeing that the first time. I think I was at a drive-in, but that was so powerful, the way he said it. Oh, motherfuckers. And then I have, keep thinking about how nice it'd be if I had a fountain drink. That thought goes through my head multiple times a day. Oh, you love your fountain drinks, Teeny. And then I can't believe you didn't have this one. You talk crazy. You gin drunk. You gin drunk. <laughs> yeah. You gin drunk. You gin drunk. Oh, well, That's maybe I was cool. a touch. Gin drunk. <laughs> when I watched it. <laughs> oh, I have when Chief yells at Sam for not properly frisking Virgil. He's like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He was good. He was good. The he chief was, was really, good. really good. Yeah, he was. Tiger was really, really good. Um, when uh, well, this is before because this is right before Sidney Portier's character, right before Virgil Tibbs says you dig, but he goes, "Keep cool, Harvey." It's like you dig, but Ma doesn't like you dig, and I hate you dig. I don't know why. I it's like so... you dig. Uh, okay. Can okay. you dig it? <laughs> It's so Sammy Davis Jr. to me. Oh, like trying, like a try hard to be cool. Like, okay, so you got the, you got the, um, what are they called? Oh, I don't know. And this could go very any direction, Ma. (laughs) But but, uh, Sinatra. The Rat Pack. The Rat Pack, okay. And they let Sammy Davis Jr. in. I'm doing quotation marks because they let him in. So he had to be hyper cool. He had to be cooler than all of them to be able to earn his place in the Rat Pack. So the you dig just sounds like he's trying too hard to me. Oh, uh, I don't associate you dig with Sammy Davis Jr. I can excellent. see how that would. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. More my associations are more militant than that. I'm gonna let it go there. Um, I have. Oh, when he, cause this is right after the slap, and he's like, "What are you gonna do about that?" And just he's like, "I don't know." <laughs> and he's, <laughs> and you just know that he's he really doesn't know. <laughs> he doesn't. Like, no I idea. Don't, I have no idea. I know. What I know. You I should kill him do. right now, but I know that I need him right now, but. I don't oh, know. Shit, this is a very bad situation. Very yeah. Bad. He's like, you I need- dig? <laughs> Where's Indeed? <laughs> I need to be looking for a new job. Um, and then the I like the um, because he wasn't, he was just some kid. He's probably the newspaper photography guy. He was like, have you ever, <laughs> have you ever shot a crime scene before? And he was like, well, at least he won't be moving on us. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Those were my quotables. So now we're to LVP, and I have uh, a couple runners up. Mm-hmm. <sighs> chewing gum, man. Chewing gum. Oh my God, if you have jaw problems grinding your teeth at night. 
Damn. What well, that was one of my honorable mentions too. It was the Chiefs gum. That was putting in all the work. But it did it a really was. good job in character development. Mm-hmm. And he didn't want to do it. And then he got into it. And I have how many packs of gum he went through. How many? 263 packs of gum. Wow. Ugh, I am not a gum chewer, but okay. Gee, I had are braced- you a gum chewer? Me? Yeah. You can't. It's not good if you grind your teeth at night. Oh. It really hurts that. I'm yeah. not. It makes my it stomach really, upset. I really bad jaw mouth teeth. Yeah, I get that. Um, like I just when I'm like sitting and in in like my everyday state, I'm clenching my jaw. Oh wow! You know the master. I'm a massively anxious person. I don't know if anybody knows that. Um, and so 98% of my time is spent feeling like that. Um, so without chewing gum, I don't need the extra help. <laughs> to irritate my jaw. Yeah. That's the your masseter muscle because that's the strongest muscle in the human body. Yours must be incredible. Yeah, it's terrible. It's completely changed the way my face looks. Really? Past, like, yeah. It's a terrible wow. thing. I wouldn't recommend I wouldn't if I could afford getting Botox every six months, I would do it because it relaxes your muscles in your jaw. Oh, oh really? Blair I didn't got it. realize that. Yeah, and it um helps stop teeth grinding. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a I have night guards because of teeth grinding. I have night guards because of snoring. I have night guards because <laughs> of teeth whitening. I there's so many. Okay. Um, and yet I've never seen you with anything with wearing them. Yeah. Wearing them. <laughs> Um, okay, falsely identifying your rapist. I mean, just tell just tell who truly raped you. Don't say it was this dude because well, it's... maybe Tina's right and it was the brother. Uh, uh, that does not that would not surprise me at all. And and I feel like Diner Dude would be thrilled to be even put in the category. He is. Um... He was so, but. Overt racism is my LVP. Ah, yes. Yeah, try to beat that. Mine's Mississippi. Yeah, it's pretty good. Overt racism, Mississippi. Kind of equal. I'm sorry for anyone who, but even like the TV shows that I've seen. And like, I get it. Like, you know, Jersey Shore isn't all that. The Jersey Shore isn't all like the Jersey Shore show, but right, not all housewives are like the housewives of New Jersey. But I, I, but like Alabama and Mississippi are routinely named the poorest states in the nation, and you just have to think because you know money that you. Why wouldn't you? But I guess if you're the one that's in charge and you're stealing all that money, isn't Mississippi where Brett Favre allegedly got into stealing from the welfare fund and all that? And they're just like routinely just with money. And it's it's just just I mean, then do better. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Give me a reason. Yeah. I'm sure there's 
something good has come out of Mississippi, Alabama. But, oh, a lot. You know, even a beachfront property. Beachfront bargain hunt, yeah. Yeah. No, Music. I, I think that, like, Mississippi and Alabama, isn't that where, like, Robert Johnson went to the the crossroads and the the devil taught him how to play the blues. I mean, if we didn't have that, we wouldn't have rock music. We wouldn't have any popular music. All popular music comes from black music. And I'm sorry that he had to go through that, but I I, I have no reason to go there. I would say that I think the you all's is the best one, but mine was just within this movie. I Virgil's Philly boss. I just still have so many questions. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Why put him through this? You know what he's... It's 67. Yeah, it's either way you slice is just a bad look on this man. Yeah. Who doesn't know what is really happening? Okay, is that everybody's Mm -hmm. LPP? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Ah, Chewing gum. Okay, my MVP... My MVP is the second slap. Dude slaps him and he goes, oh, no, you don't, motherfucker. Fuck. Cool. That's the backhand, ma. And it could have gotten him killed. Yeah. But he would have gone out with that going, all right, if that's what takes me out, okay. I'm but okay it's the, it's the, it's the, the, I'm a man. It's the, no, you can't do that. You don't own me. Produced by Quincy Jones. See how it all ties in. You don't own me. Wait, was uh, my... that, that was Leslie Gore. Mine is also the slap. Is it true that it's the first time a black man slapped a white man on in the movie? Uh, I would have to say so. That's what I. That's my trivia that I bring. Yeah, and Sydney Poitier was like. It wasn't in the book. It wasn't in the script. And he was, this has to make the final mm-hmm. cut. He was adamant about it. Because it's it's a it's a it's an important moment for thinking about like what we said, painting the picture of 1967, and this movie is filming. And he was adamant not only like that it's be in it, but that it is every version. Because you know how mm-hmm. movies were famous about cutting up stuff that was going to be shown in the South. Uh, yes, exactly. This movie's shown in the South. They were going to cut it to bits. Mm-hmm. So he's like, no, you have to you have to show that. Because that this man just comes up and walks and thinks that he can have the caucasity to just slap me. And that I'm... They call me Mr. Tibbs! And just to see that... I mean, imagine that you're 1967 and all this stuff is going on. You have all these uprising and rebellions, and you see this man. He comes over and he slaps him, and just without a thing, just slaps him back because he is. I mean, he's definitely not inferior. He is superior in so many ways. Exactly. But then it's also like a pat the back of like, oh look, we solved racism because Sydney Poitier yeah. slapped exactly. him back. Exactly. <laughs> So let's not fall into that trap. But it was a very satisfying slap. Yeah, that was nice. That's yours as well, Aaron? 
Oh, yeah, Mr. Tibbs, five on the blackhand side. That's what I wrote down. <laughs> okay, I didn't do a recasting, but the whole time I was watching it, I was thinking I could see the sheriff being Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, that's a good one. I could totally see that. Do you watch Your Honor on HBO on Sunday nights? I haven't watched the second season. I've only watched the first. So the um, the father that is, it, it appears in a mob situation, he reminds me so much of Joaquin Phoenix. And Oh, yeah. I know yeah, that so, guy. Yeah. So I kept yep. thinking of him, but going, yeah, he could totally be that. And of course, Michael B. Jordan, who wouldn't put him as Virgil Tibbs, but so that's as far as I got with recast. Teeny, did you do a recasting? Sure didn't. <laughs> I did. Mine was, in, but I kind of changed it up a bit. In the 2023 version, it's going to be about a teacher teaching American history in Mississippi. Oh, shit. Oh, As oh the, sh shit. The teacher just passing through Mr. Tibbs. Is Jonathan Majors because, of course. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then Principal Gillespie is Paul Walter Hauser. You know who he? Ha, he was in the that Clint Eastwood film that was about the the Richard Jewell film. He played Richard Jewell. He was also in that that TV show. I think like Blackbird. He played like a murderer. He's a heavy set white fella. He's usually always like the sidekick or something. But I just thought that he would be, he's a really good actor. So I thought that he would be good as Principal Gillespie. And they can just duke it out, those two acting savants. He's, you have the audacity to teach American history, but this is history. This is what happened. But how, but why? Why do we need to end up? They're going to feel, little white children are going to feel bad. <laughs> but this is what happened. How do we make amends if we don't, if we deny? <laughs> it's a horrible movie, but <laughs> that's my recasting. <laughs> okay, so we are to Tasties. Um, so as previously stated, Sydney Poitier Harry Belafonte almost got killed by the KKK in Mississippi. Oh, so Sidney Poitier insisted that it be filmed in the North and he slept with a gun under his pillow the entire time this was being oh, filmed. My God. Yeah. I mean, to be that afraid for your life. Well, I mean, he was friends with, I'm sure he knew Medgar Evers probably crossed paths with Malcolm X at some point. Like, there are a lot of people we looked around and it was like, dead, dead, dead. People we haven't even talked about. Dead, dead, dead. Um, this is the first major Hollywood film where the lighting mm -hmm. was done to take into the account of a dark complexion. Yeah, Haskell Wexler. He made sure to uh -huh. light the film with proper consideration because when, when lighting for paler skin tones use stronger lighting and that stronger lighting, it produces too much glare on darker skin tones. I remember that was a really big deal when Waiting to Exhale came out. Because uh -huh. it's like you have... But it's, 
It's still going on today. Oh, yeah. There's so much in Hollywood that's still going on. There's the lighting aspects of it because it's just with the different skins, but then also in hair and makeup. You and hear that a lot. Artificial intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. The I, I said this before. The Tib slap was not in the original script or in the book. Um, and that Lee Grant was very into civil rights, even though a lot of her parts were... Um, a lot of the things she did had a racist slant on the character she played. Well, she also they didn't get to play a lot of characters for a good solid 12 years. Exactly. There's that. Teeny? I have none. I have that Ray Charles, of course, sings the theme song, but also Billy Preston plays Electric Oregon on that song. And remember the song when, when uh, old Sam Wood is bopping around and it's bow-legged, <laughs> bow-legged yes. Peggy? Yes, yes. sung by Glenn Campbell. That's Glenn exactly. Campbell. He sang yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So this film was nominated. Okay, wow, oh, man, the Oscars. So this film came out in 1967. So, But the Oscars for this, because you know how Oscars go, the calendar... It was originally scheduled for April 8th, 1968, but it was rescheduled for two days later. And this is not funny why it's rescheduled, and we're going to feel really bad when I tell you why, because we already know. Because April 4th, 1968, yeah, he was assassinated. And there were a lot of Sammy Davis Jr., Sidney Poitier, Harry Belafonte, they were all like, nah, we ain't coming. Yeah. And and in Hollywood, there are a lot of people who are also, you know, shaking up. So it was rescheduled for two days later. Two uh, whole days. Yeah, two whole days. I just think that that's wild. Like, he is assassinated on April 4th, and then on, it was scheduled the 8th, but two days later. So that's April 10th, 1968. So that's, it's a day shy of a week. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not even mm-hmm. a week later. And in the Unspooled podcast, they play because Gregory Peck was the the president, maybe yes. SAG or something. And so I think he comes out and he kind of gives a speech, you know. And, and so I just think it's kind of interesting that this was nominated for seven Academy Awards. It was nominated for Best Sound Effects and Best Director. And then it won five awards. It won Best Sound, Best Film Editing. Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Actor, Rod Steiger, and it won Best Picture. And you kind of yeah. have to, like, they probably, like, patted themselves on the back because, mm-hmm. you know. Like, Look how liberal you know, we are. Yeah. Um, in, in the movie, Mr. Tibbs, he points out that he makes $162.39 a week. Mm-hmm. That equals. Oh, good. I'm glad somebody did it. Uh huh. One thousand four hundred fifty-four dollars and fifty-six cents today. And I looked up, and so that puts it on track for about seventy-five k a year. Mm-hmm. And on Indeed, the average detective salary in Philadelphia is seventy-seven thousand nine hundred thirty-six. All right. So, so that's pretty accurate. Pretty much in line with it. Um. In addition, you said how this stuff was 
in Shot Tennessee as well. And there are sequels. They call me Mr. Tibbs mm-hmm. and the organization. So there's two sequels to this. Sydney Poitier and there was a TV show. Uh-huh. And then in 1988, there was a TV show that ran for seven seasons in the heat mm-hmm. of night. Because when the theme song came on, I was like, I know this theme song. Yeah. I know this show. Y'all used to watch it. Yeah. It's pretty wild as a little kid. Like, I learned a lot about racism now that I think about it from In the Heat of the Night. <laughs> about, like, wait, what? What? Wait, what? But also, if you do the math on when I was, like, five years old, it would have been the 30th anniversary of 1965. So there's a lot of stuff on, like, TV about that. And I'm like, mm-hmm. wait, but where would we be? Oh, we wouldn't be. <laughs> but where, what water fountain would I use? Not the white one. But, but what I... We couldn't sit at a table together? Oh, dang. This with the <laughs> questions. <laughs> and, like, I'm five. So I was like, what world did y'all bring me into? What is this? Well, there is that. There <laughs> is that. Um, And so then more of the... um. This was just taken from the Hollywood Reporter article by Walter Mosley. He talks about how Sam and Harvey were both, they both changed their attitudes toward Virgil when they are the poor, innocent person that's behind bars and they're cast in the role that's really meant for Virgil and his people. And then let's just round this up with some bars being dropped by Walter Mosley, shall we? He just says, quote, At the end of the Civil War, our history, black and white, was unceremoniously dumped into an unmarked grave so that our nation could get along with the business of world building without guilt. No one wanted to know what it meant that this country had been built by African slaves and bathed in the blood of Native America. No one, at least not enough of us, wanted to shoulder the contradiction of a land of the free built upon the firmament of absolute subjugation. Hitting bars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, so that was in the heat of the night. Teeny picks bangers. Now I, I enjoyed. A, I did too. I did too. I really liked this. At first, I was oh, this is gonna be a total downer, but then no, I totally got into it. So also, well as much as it wasn't like obviously Sydney Poitier was like had to play like the good upstanding educated black man or whatever but i like i like what was that movie you watched with the deaf girl or the blind girl patch of blue yeah, a patch of blue i like that he wasn't as much of like a white savior type you know yes. like it was like yes. you know got i kind of like that you got like the nitty gritty and then it was yes. like a slap and yeah, yes. and especially compared to what he's doing in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, where he's yeah, the doctor. Right. And... You did have to be a little uncomfortable to watch it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I felt like this character was much like um, Paris Blues, where mm-hmm. he didn't want to go back to America, where he would be just part of the prejudice yeah, society. Yeah, go back, go to France. Yeah, he, he doesn't look Algerian, so he's fine. Okay, so I had a movie picked out, but then we're off next week. Because it's going to be off the week after. 
because we... Aaron and TD and Adam will be together. Oh yeah, we'll have to just. It's gonna be three. Three. So we're the next week and then the next week. Oh okay. I think it's gonna be a couple weeks. Okay. So I had a movie picked out. So you can pick a long one because we have a lot of weeks. Well, so so then Teeny, we're going to Vegas. Oh, oh okay. And so I have three. I have three Vegas. Well, I have four movies. Do you want to know all four of the movies? And I want to know what's the most Vegasy one. I have three. There's two that are the most Vegasy, but they're both. Okay, so there was. The, oh, I'll just tell all of them. There was the detective story, nineteen. I don't know. It was in the fifties, and it's an hour forty-three minutes. It's a noir drama, and I picked that because that was Lee Grant. Yeah, I right? want to see more Lee Grant. Okay. So then on the Vegas tip, we have an an hour and fifth an hour and forty five minutes from nineteen sixty nine. Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. I've been wanting to do that one. We have in nineteen ninety five coming in at two hours fifty eight minutes, but might be the most. This these two are the most Vegasy. We have Casino. 1995. So that's wow. that's Martin Scorsese, That's De Niro. my hero. And, and then we also I mean, have, let's not pick for us. Okay. Well, then we also have coming in equally Vegasy, 1991, two hour twenty nine minutes. Warren Beatty and Net Betting, Bugsy. Oh, shit. Yeah. How do I pick uh, between Casino and Bugsy? I'm going with Casino. Casino or Bugsy? It's three hours, but. Casino, I mean, they're... and then I can watch it on the way to Vegas. Okay, yes. so we're doing Casino then. Nineteen ninety-five, Robert De Niro. I don't Sharon think I've Stone, ever seen it. Nineteen ninety-five. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that'll give me a plane movie. Mm-hmm. I thought I thought it would be fun to do like a, a Vegas, but and I was like, oh. I was like, oh, but it's really long. It is three hours, but we can do that because we have three hours of Vegas. Come on. And it's Please. it's it's like Scorsese, Vegas, yeah, and Vegas. Sharon Stone and stuff. So. Sharon Stone, De Niro, right? Yeah, Joe Pesci. Yeah. Joe Pesci. Okay. Okay, listeners, we hope you enjoyed this week of what did we just do? In the heat of the night. In the heat of the night. Oh, my God. So good. And um, they're going to be in Vegas together. Not that that's a problem. And so next time we're together, which is a couple weeks from now, we will be doing Casino, a three-hour movie, which is an hour over Teeny's timeline. But anything for Vegas. (laughs) Anything for Vegas. Uh, they won't be getting married in Vegas because they already are married. So that well, we might do it all over again. Who knows who I meet? <laughs> True. Oh, shit. Oh wow. Oh wow. Who blew me away? Anything uh, for Vegas. <laughs> and you have your your bridesmaid and your and your uh-huh. groomsman. So okay. Okay, well, it'll be interesting (laughs) next time we're together. There you go, listeners. Bye. Bye.